Hi, I'm Eva Makovic, and you're listening to the Reader's Digest podcast, in which we navigate the woes and wonders of modern life with leading experts on the everyday tools we need to survive and thrive in 2019. On today's show, Anna Walker speaks to Will McCollum, the head of Oceans at Greenpeace, about one of the greatest environmental challenges facing the world right now, plastic waste, and how we can all reduce our footprint through small, everyday actions. So I'll start off with a simple question that perhaps doesn't have such a simple answer. How is excessive plastic consumption impacting our world? It's impacting it in in a number of ways. And to be honest, our understanding of how it's impacting is is, uh, still very limited because it's such a new issue. Um, So as an example of how new it is, in 2016, I commissioned a report on uh, plastics in seafood. And, you know, it did a literature review of all of the available research out there. And the, but the most astonishing finding was not any of the specific bits of science. It was actually that uh, more had been written about the subject of plastics and seafood in the years 2014 to 16 than ever before in history. So it's such a new issue that we're just beginning to understand. But if I had to summarise the, the impact of plastic, it would really come into three three areas. The first would be uh, the very obvious, so entanglement and choking of of marine life. So we've all seen devastating pictures of uh, whales with plastic bags in their stomach, turtles with plastic straws up their nose, that kind of stuff. That's the most obvious way. And so many of these species are already facing threats like climate change, like overfishing, like uh, industrialization of the of the coast. Um, so to add another one like plastic uh, really isn't fair in a way. And um, another way that we know that it's impacting is infrastructure. And I think this one is less uh, appreciated, really, and, and fewer people think about it. But um, in 2002, Bangladesh was the first country to ban plastic bags. And the reason they did that was because plastic bags were clogging up all of the drainage pipes, all of the sewage systems, and making the flooding so much worse. In Southeast Asia, there's already huge impacts of uh, diminishing tourism as a result of plastic pollution on the beaches. So that sort of infrastructure, economic um, impact is very much real and and happening right now and and not being thought about as much. And then the third, which is really, uh, I suppose this is one that we know the least about, but we know is happening, is um, plastic entering into the food chain. And... Uh, So when plastic is in the ocean, it attracts toxins. It acts like a magnet for things like mercury or um, what's called polychlorinated biphenyls, which are PCBs. So for people around in the 70s, they might remember there was a huge campaign to ban them in the 70s, but banning them unfortunately didn't get rid of them. They still exist in the ocean and they're very toxic to marine life. They lower its immune system, they prevent it from reproducing. And when plastic enters the water, it attracts these toxins and multiplies them. So a small fish eating them is far more toxic than if it had just eaten that piece of plastic on its own. The small fish is eaten by a bigger fish, is eaten by a bigger fish, and eventually by you know, marine mammals like whales and seals, where it accumulates in their blubber and starts to have a, a much bigger impact on their health. Its impact on human health is still not very, very well understood. Uh, so we don't yet know the future impacts on human health, but we do know that it is increasing the toxicity in our food. And something I know I'm curious about is how we got here in the first place. When we hear these overwhelming statistics, I mean, you mentioned in your book that Britain alone uses 35 million plastic bottles a day. 
it's hard to imagine that the consequences of this excessive consumption weren't anticipated. It is hard to imagine, but they just weren't. It was just a, a simple design flaw. I think that's mm. really the only way to explain it. We we started to prioritise cost at the start of a product's life, so reducing cost at the point of production without thinking about the full life cycle cost of the things that we were producing. So, um, you know, materials that were cheaper were prioritised over materials that were durable, whereas now when we're appreciating the environmental cost, actually that, that it's... It's bizarre to think that we didn't anticipate that this would become a problem, but, but, but we really didn't. And that's why this is a particularly exciting moment, because now we can see that it's a problem. Now we can see that there's this longer-term environmental and economic and potentially health cost to the things that we've produced. Then uh, it's our chance to act, and, and I think more and more people are, are, are awakening to that, to that fact. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the facts you mentioned, I've already sort of mentioned that plastic bottles one, but they're staggering. You also say one rubbish truck worth of plastic enters the ocean every minute. 90% of seabirds have plastic in their stomachs. But I'm wondering what has been the most sort of shocking of these revelations for you personally? You know, as somebody who, who loves nature, who spends a lot of time outdoors, I go out on the ships, I, uh, I spend most of my holidays in some way related to the sea. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time watching seabirds and the thought that these populations are being damaged by these simple plastic objects that we use in our everyday life. The, the thought of mothers feeding their chicks plastic, of it being used in nests, of mm. all of that kind of stuff. And these, these are creatures that are incredibly... Um, resourceful and you know arctic terns that fly from the arctic to the antarctic and back every single year they they are now being impacted by by plastic i think another one that i find really shocking is just the the extent to which it has spread out mm. across the ocean and this is where you know it's all very well to to talk about it being a problem elsewhere in the world or it's far worse over there or it's far worse in that river than in this one but once it goes into the ocean it doesn't matter it mm. becomes all of our problem and the currents take it to the furthest reaches and, and that moment uh, about 18 months ago where scientists found an intact plastic bag in the Mariana Trench the deepest part of the ocean mm. 11 kilometres beneath the surface of the water that was really a shocking moment and you mentioned as well in the book travelling to the Antarctic and you even found plastic pieces there, hundreds of miles from human habitation. How did that discovery feel, being there and witnessing that discovery? Oh, it's horrible. You know, it, it, it's horrible and yet it was entirely expected. Mm. I wasn't expecting it to find in quite as many as we did, so we found it in 90% of all the samples that we took. Wow. We found microplastics in freshly fallen snow, which means that people walked over through cloud cover. Uh, but but really the, the the sort of the moment that was particularly gut wrenching was we were in the Weddell Sea, which is the coldest sea on the planet. It's so cold, fish swim with antifreeze in their blood. It's you know, it's so remote. And on the satellite map that we that we had upstairs in in the bridge of the ship, you could see in this vast vast area, millions of square kilometres, there were just two ships, us and one other, mm. and. Knowing that, we were heading south to this area that we were calling for to be protected, and we came across this absolutely astonishing iceberg. You know, the, the ice down there is all astonishing, but this one was particularly cathedral-like, and so we decided to, to get closer, to get some beautiful uh, shots of it in the sunset, and as we rounded 
it, this is an iceberg three times the size of our ship, so it take, takes a while to get around. And um, going around it, suddenly see this bright, bright orange fishing buoy floating in the middle of the Weddell Sea. And you just think, how on earth has that got here? You know, that has just been carried by currents. Nobody's fishing in this area. This is not an area where there's any permanent human habitation. And somehow there's this brightly, uh, obscenely coloured human object just floating there. Yeah, so human. And I guess there's, there's not really any unspoiled areas left now. No, unfortunately not. And that's something that we have to come to terms with. And... Uh, you know, we have already changed the world beyond um, the point at which it can just go back mm. to how it was. And, and that, that can be uh, a sobering realisation, but it shouldn't be a demotivating one. Mm. And, I, and the reason I say that is because if you look at the projections, plastic production is set to double in the next 10 years. And you've already said we already have a rubbish truck a minute going into the ocean. We already have 12.7 million tonnes going in every single year. We absolutely cannot afford to let it double over the next 10 years. And that, for me, is a real motivating thing right now, is after Blue Planet, after the last sort of couple of years of people waking up to the fact and getting angry about the amount of plastic that's in their life, we now have to turn that into action. And, and we have a real responsibility to do that for future generations. Are programmes like Blue Planet making an impact that you can see in how motivated people are to give up or cut down on plastic in their own lives? Absolutely. I, I think the impact of Blue Planet, and not just Blue Planet, you know, there are other nature documentaries out there, mm. there are other amazing campaigns out there as well. Um, but you do see uh, an unprecedented level of interest in particularly ocean conservation, but also the environment more broadly at the moment. Mm. And one sort of plastic reduction initiative most people will already be aware of was the decision announced by Nick Clegg in 2013 to introduce a charge for plastic bags. But I think fewer people are certain of whether or not that's had an impact. Um, has it? The plastic bag charge had a great impact. It reduced plastic bag use in the big supermarkets by 85%. So these are simple measures. I think that, for me, is a take-home message of, of that announcement. So much of our plastic problem can be dealt with through very, very simple policy measures. Things like a charge on plastic bags or a, a charge on, I don't know, coffee cups, whatever it might be. At the other end of the spectrum, we have to start looking at what, what manufacturers and producers can do at source. So shall we tax virgin plastic, so new plastic production, to incentivize them using more recycled content or, in fact, just reducing overall the amount that they're using? Um, do we just ban any plastic that cannot be recycled or isn't widely recycled? These are, these are not groundbreaking revolutionary measures. They're, they're quite simple and we already know how to do them. So moving on to sort of how people can take action day to day, what practical lifestyle changes could our listeners go away and make almost today that could significantly minimise their plastic footprint? So I think that, you know, start with the very obvious, and maybe a lot of people listening, this is old news, but it's worth repeating. So if you were to just do the simple four things, that's uh, get a reusable bag, get a reusable water bottle, get a reusable coffee cup, and stop drinking through straws if you can. Uh, then that will have an enormous impact. At the moment in the UK, we use 35 million plastic bottles every single day, and only half of those are recycled. So by simple act of carrying around a reusable water bottle, you're going to be 
potentially reducing your your water bottle consumption by 400 bottles a year wow. so that that's you know that's a that's a big impact and, and really worth doing so that that would be where i'd start with those very simple ones and easy they are so easy mm. uh, that in a way no one's got an excuse yeah. um and then you can start to look at you know what else what else is there and, and i tend to opt for the ones that might also save you money and the reason is, you know, we all like to save money and feel good at the same time. Mm. So things like packing your lunch in advance of going to work, that's a, that should be a, a simple one. It means you're not getting plastic on the go, you're not, you're not just um, going to the shop and buying whatever's there. And, uh, you know, it's hopefully giving healthier food as well. Um, more ones that you can think about are, and this is... This is uh, something that we can all do and something that I encourage everyone to do is becoming a campaigner in your workplace or in your local community and so much of my book is focused on on how to do that because that's where I think our, our biggest power comes in so it's all very well doing these individual acts behind closed doors uh, to make yourself feel better and to have an impact on the environment mm-hmm. but really our impact will start to come when we become campaigners so whether that's encouraging colleagues to, to follow your lead whether it's speaking to the cafe that you go to every single day about whether or not they really need plastic straws or plastic coffee stirrers uh, those kinds of impacts then your, then your actions start to expand out through the workplace and through the community it does feel like it sort of falls into a more general movement to hold power to account that we're seeing people get involved with on, on a day-to-day basis as well now. Yeah, yeah, completely. And and I, and I think people are ready to do it. The amount of stories I've heard since I wrote the book of people who have just, you know, gone and had a simple conversation with the manager of a local business. Mm. And then suddenly they're well on their way to not only giving up plastic in their own business, but so many of these businesses are putting up signs saying they're proud to be a plastic-free business or a plastic-clever business is one of the one of the um, taglines being used at the moment. Mm. And that's a way of educating even more people who can then go away and start to make changes in their own lives. Mm. One uh, term I hadn't heard of before reading your book was greenwash. Mm. So when this is when companies put certain messaging on their products to try and look perhaps more eco-friendly than they actually are. Are there any particular things people and consumers should be looking out for in terms of this? Yeah, the number one bit of greenwash out there, I would say, is bioplastics. So if it feels like plastic, if it acts like plastic, the chances are when it goes into the environment, it's behaving just like plastic would there as well, which means it's still a problem. So bioplastics, yes, there may well be a, a, a time and a place for them in those areas where we really can't get rid of plastic, but they are absolutely not an alternative. And so any company trying to present a different material as the alternative, all I'd say is if we were to replace plastic at the scale that we're using it with any material, be that paper, be it bioplastic, be it aluminium, whatever it is, we're going to find another environmental impact uh, that we don't want to bring about. I was perhaps most surprised to read about the amount of plastic that ends up in the oceans as a result of simply washing our clothes. Mm. Why is this so damaging and what can we do to minimise that damage? So uh, our clothes are very often made of synthetic fibres. About 60% of clothing in the UK uses synthetic fibres, so nylon, polyester are the most common too. And when we wash it, these microfibres shed off of our clothes and they're so small they go down the drain and end up in, in the ocean eventually. Rough estimates are that there's a third of the plastic in the ocean by weight is coming from these microfibres. Our clothes aren't the only source, but they are... A large percentage of the source. Um, 
And the reason why it's so damaging, it goes back to what I was saying before, these tiny plastics act as magnets for toxins, and when they're eaten by a smaller fish, it then goes up the food chain, potentially ending up on our dinner plate. Um, but, you know, there are things that we can do. And the first thing we can do is start looking at whether or not we really need to buy that polyester or nylon piece of clothing. Um, is, there, is there a more durable, is there a, a more natural alternative? The next option might be, you know, uh, do you need to wash it every single time that you wear it? Um, and that's, that's one way of reducing. But then even when it gets to the point of washing, there are a few things that you can do. So washing at a lower temperature, washing with a full load, using a liquid detergent, all of these are things that I list out in my mm. book and, and that you can do to reduce the number of microfibers going into the environment. What we really need, though, are uh, washing machine companies to start introducing filters to mm. prevent it from getting into the drainage system. And again, I guess that's a good time for people to write to these companies. Exactly. And yeah, um, As a campaigner yourself, I wondered which single-use plastic you've personally found most difficult to give up and how you've sort of overcome that. I find food on the go the most difficult just because, you know, I've rushed to work. I have maybe 15 minutes when I'm at work for a lunch break and then I go home later and I'm too tired to cook anything the next day mm. but when I've managed to do it it makes me feel so good that yeah. I you know I keep on trying to do it but it's it's sort of sandwich in the shop on my way to a meeting that's the thing that I really struggle with and it, those are the things that people almost aren't conscious of their, their use of I suppose yeah. I think um, I'd be quite shocked if I had laid in front of me all the plastic I use just on the go and the spur of the moment that I'm not thinking about Completely. Um, yeah. And one thing that I did do, though, was to, to take a walk one day just in the, in the area around this office and uh, just figure out which shops are the ones that aren't using plastic when they're wrapping, you know, sandwiches or whatever. And there are actually more than you think. Mm. There's, there's a bakery, there's, you know, a kebab shop that's using paper. There's, there are a few around here that, that, that aren't using plastic, and so I do opt for those instead now. And the other thing is... is um, that's been really nice is because I've sometimes felt too guilty to go out and get something wrapped in plastic uh, I've actually just gone and sat in a cafe and that mm. gives me a longer break it's much nicer you get a chance to talk to your colleagues it's sort of moving away from this disposable culture in general I suppose isn't mm -hmm. it of we grab food we eat our desks we don't take the time it's just being more mindful of our choices overall, I suppose, it comes into part of that. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, one thing I've said to a few uh, chain cafe chains that when I've spoken to them is, why don't you just have a sign-up saying, why don't you sit instead? Yeah. And even such a simple thing like that is a way for a business to, to, to move this away from a guilt-tripping exercise or a, or a blame exercise and actually turn it into more of a community-building exercise. Absolutely, because I think that's something a lot of people do struggle with is this idea that they're, they are to feel shamed for using plastic or they should feel guilty when it's actually a, a chance to become involved in something that's going to be groundbreaking, hopefully, and really positive. Completely. I think, you know, I, I open the book by saying um, you, you're not really going to be able to give up plastic. Unfortunately, the, the world is not set up to, to help us give up plastic. We can all make better choices. We can all reduce. But fundamentally, we need businesses. We need government to, to step in and make this easier for us. And that's why there shouldn't be a guilt or a, or a blame culture going on. Or if there is, direct it upwards. Direct, mm. it at the, direct it at the companies and the government that aren't making this easy for us. Absolutely. How do you stay positive in the midst of this sort of tidal wave of bad news about the impact plastic is having on our planet? Do you feel optimistic for the future? I do. I think, you know, that, that 
unprecedented awareness raising exercise that's happened over the last year has given me a huge amount of hope because I've never worked on a campaign or on an issue where so many people want to get involved, where we're not having to persuade people that this is an issue, we're not having to explain why it's having an impact. People just understand it and they want to do something. And then I'm hopeful that, that that sort of passion for the environment translates into other areas where, where we also need people's help and we also need people to be taking action, be that, you know, palm oil or climate change, whatever it is. Um, it's this it's this better environmental consciousness that, that, that is giving me hope. But it's going to be a big two years. So 2019 and 2020 are really important years for the environment. We have uh, the largest convention on, on biodiversity being gathered in Beijing in 2020. And there they will be setting targets for environmental protection. We also have the first review of the Paris Agreement in 2020. So we've got these two major environmental moments that could set the, you know, set the direction of our planet for the next decade. Mm. And so over the next year and a half, we have to galvanise as many people as possible. We have to inspire as many people as possible to join in and, and call on their politicians to treat these moments with the level of respect that they that they deserve and need to, to get that positive change. So it's really never been a better time to make reducing plastic and speaking about it a New Year's resolution, for exactly. example. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Will. And if you want to discover more practical ways to join the anti-plastics movement, How to Give Up Plastic is available to purchase from all good bookshops.